So, let's talk about space. Space! <laughs> space is, uh, it's cool again, right? Like, I feel like with the Pluto stuff, like, all of a sudden, it feels like, at least to me, that space news is sort of mainstream in a way that it hasn't been uh, for the last several years. It does feel that way. It's funny, because um, we're in this era where... Um... Uh, the United States has no capability to send people into space right now by their own by their own means, just by uh, like hitching a ride. And, and yeah. you know, they're working on it, but it, it, it's what you could call a, a low point for uh, space, depending on how your personal definition of, of sort of human space exploration is. But mm-hmm. um, I think that this last couple of weeks has shown that that's absolutely not the case and that there's still a lot of enthusiasm out there for, for, for space stuff. Um, so, yeah, people are talking. Yeah. This has been a this week in particular, this last week was like crazy full of space. News. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right there about that. That lull, you know, the shuttle you know, shuttle ended. And they've got the commercial crew program, which is basically SpaceX and then uh, Boeing and these other companies, a Sierra Nevada company, working on getting uh, their ships human ready. You know, SpaceX was in the news, of course, because they, they lost uh, a flight at the end of June. But these companies are all, they're not really racing, but they're all working towards uh, manned flight. So they can handle things like getting people to the space station, which right now we have to go to Russia and fly uh, fly with them and pay them lots of money. And it's just not a, a great situation from like a flexibility perspective right now. But I think it is exciting in the sense that you know, SpaceX is doing flights like Elon Musk seems like Tony Stark in many ways, which is exciting. And they're doing stuff. And, you know, so NASA can focus on Mars, right? Like that's the trade off. NASA can't do like space station type stuff and do Mars. So they're focusing on that further out mission with Orion and they're going to kind of. I don't want to say write off, but sort of give this this low Earth orbit stuff to these other companies to do. Yeah, it's um, it's a weird time. I mean, this is a transition time, and I, I think what's interesting is picking up the slack is all the all the uh, all the probes, all of the little machines that we send out, and and <laughs> you know, and and there's always that argument about like, well, it's not the same. Well, it's not the same, but you know, the Pluto stuff that's just crazy. That's again, that's a you know, uh, whether you want to call it a planet or not, a major solar system body unexplored, and you know, took a long time to get there, but the results are already kind of pouring back. And I know we're going to probably talk about that a little bit more, but um, you've got that. Uh, you've you've got um, uh, what Cassini is still flitting, mm-hmm. flitting around Saturn. You've got all the stuff that's happening on Mars. I wanted to mention, you know, I, I was looking this up the other day. Um, the, there's been, uh, the Opportunity rover has been going around on the surface of Mars exploring stuff um for 11 years now <laughs> yeah 11, it, 11 it, years of ro- roving around on the surface of mars and it was supposed to last what like 90 days or something crazy short right. and it's just like oh i'm just going to keep going and it's like driving uh if i if i recall correctly this is the rover that can only go in reverse now or maybe that was its twin that, that died a while back but it's like this this crazy feat of engineering this thing is still rolling around collecting data when it by no stretch of the imagination should be like, <laughs> how are you still doing this? But but it is. Yeah, and then you've got um, Curiosity on top of that, which is the next generation one that that landed what nine years later. 
and mm-hmm. you know, or, or ten years later, it's still there, um, doing its job too. So you've got stuff on the ground on Mars. You've got stuff orbiting and flying by, and I mean, there's a lot of other action going on. So I mean, it, again, it depends on how you. Um, how you define space, but there's so many different aspects of it. There's the there's the the bigger stuff, and there's what the commercial crew stuff is going to do, and there's the International Space Station, and then there's all of the all of the probes that are uh, are you know active. I mean, just the idea that that we we're driving little cars around Mars that you can watch these pictures that are just they're they're almost routine now. I saw a picture the other day that was a color corrected image from. Um, I, I want to say it was from from what was it from opportunity and not it might have been from curiosity but it was it was from one of them and it was um you know just a just a Mars landscape it's like yeah so so common so boring it's just you know it's just like yeah here's more of Mars we've seen a lot of it we have these beautiful full color pictures of various things it's not it's like it's terrain now it's like looking Mm -hmm. in in the mojave desert instead of it being like we have two pictures from mars it's like no we know like we we know everywhere in this tiny area i'll grant you but it's just like it's now familiar territory it's not it's not like we get one shot like with the pluto stuff like if there's dynamic terrain on pluto um, we're not going to really, we're going to have to guess because we only got to flit past it once and that's it. But on mm. Mars, it's just like, Go drive you around. know, we've been, we've been driving around there for longer than my son has been alive and he's, been, he's about to turn 11. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And that's a really interesting thing that you sort of, you sort of drifted into there for a second about uh, there's that familiar feeling when you look at those images. And I, I agree, I'm flipping through um, the mission page now for... Um, for the Mars stuff. And it's like, yeah, like we've seen these images, right? Like we know uh, it kind of looks like a desert. What's so interesting about that is that sense of the familiar of the, the routine is something that has haunted NASA for a long time. You look at their history. Um, if you look at that shuttle in particular, yeah. Uh, when the Challenger uh, disaster happened in 1986, I was, I was actually born ha- that evening. Happy birthday. Thanks. Yeah. It'll be 30 uh, this, this next time around. Yeah. Um, that came at a time where the general public and and NASA itself in places, if you go and read the reports, had sort of fallen into a sense of complacency and routine with this stuff. And it takes something, and I think this is why space is exciting right now in, in this sort of news cycle, is that the the New Horizon and the Pluto stuff is sort of a break from that of, yes, like, we see uh, new stuff from Mars. You know, there was um, uh, there's an image right now on the uh, on the Mars page of this uh, sunset. You know, this this basically this gift they've put together and and looking at the the sunset, and like that's a beautiful image, but it, it's a sunset on Mars. Like we we've seen that sort of stuff before, and I think that's where um, like really great things can happen, but also really terrible things can happen when we as the public or NASA itself or these other companies become sort of fall into that routine, if that makes sense. Right. Well, I mean, I, I take great, um, there's the, the thing that I saw and I, I, I put it in the, in the show notes for you is this thing called afternoon in marathon Valley, late afternoon in marathon Valley. And it mm-hmm. is, um, it is this amazing shot, uh, from, the uh from opportunity who was traveled like 
28 miles or something at this point. And it's in it's in Marathon Valley, which is next to a big crater. And it's just this, you know, it's like the long shadows. And there's this kind of uh, little kind of hump of a, of a, uh, a hill that kind of comes in the foreground. And then you can see back. And it's just like you're standing down in the bottom of a, a little valley like you're out in the desert. And, yeah, on one level, you have to remind yourself you know, do people even remember the fact that we've got these teams actively, we've got two teams actively driving rovers around on Mars um, right now. Like they're, they're, they're still doing that and presumably still working on Mars uh, time ships, which is tricky and wreaks havoc with your, um, your life and your, your sleep patterns, I guess. But um, that's, I think people miss it though. That that's so the upside of it is you look at this and you're like how awesome is it that we just know this subject so intimately now because we these machines are able to explore and and not it's not a flyby or a lander. It's 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 deep exploration. We're learning nuances and, and personality of this of of Mars by doing this. At the same time, what people really love is here's a new picture of something we've never seen before. Did did this thing that we're trying to land land? Did in the case of New Horizons, did it make it past Pluto and is it radioing back? Those moments of drama that are always more exciting than the moments of. Uh, the, the, or the drawn out exploration stuff. So it's I, I guess it's a balance, but I, I I found myself coming out the other side of it when I looked at this Marathon Valley picture where I was like, how awesome is it that um, we don't we, you know we take the we take a picture sometimes and it's awesome because it's a picture of something we've never seen before. But with Mars now, it's almost like um, your family photo album. It's like we just take thousands of pictures and then f- some of them are really amazing and we pick those out. It's just a different kind of 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 feeling when you when you've got that level of of detail, which is what what we saw. And then you end up seeing something like this late afternoon Marathon Valley picture and you're like, "Oh wow. Yeah. Um that's another planet." <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah, but it does look uh to your point like something that you could just hike out like out behind your house and, and see, yeah. you know, it's... But the drought's not quite that bad, but yeah. <laughs> I don't, it was pretty uh, <laughs> dusty when I was out there last yeah. month. Um, no, it really is It really is fascinating. I think that's something that we want to explore, um, like, as a like as a, as a species, I think humanity is built uh, to explore and to push boundaries, right? You look at our history, um, even just the last millennia or two, and you see this great exploration of, of our planet and... Of course, that continues. You know, there's large parts of of our Earth that uh, are unknown to us, and I think as as long as man has been able to look up at the stars and wonder what is out there, um, you know that that sort of sense of drive is is what is pushing us now. And you know, I think I agree with you. Like having rovers out there doing things that that humanity can't do. Like we we can't. Really, we can't go to Mars yet as human beings. You know, we're working on it. NASA's got some things in the works, yeah. but we can't we can't get on a on a a launch vehicle right now and go to Mars. Um, but we can send these these incredibly custom and purpose built machines. Um, you know, the Mars rovers. You know, they have to experience radiation. They have to experience extreme temperature shift. Um, they have to drive around in inches of dust. I mean, that was a huge thing. Uh, uh, with curiosity, you know, I read a bunch when they were building and when they launched it about the, the the tracks on the on the wheels about how hey this thing is heavy and it's big and has to go over this really fine dust. How do we not get bogged down? How do we not sink into it? And and all those you know millions and millions of little decisions add up to something that 
I mean, every every single mission page on on NASA's site is like, how marvelous is it that we can build these things and then we can shoot them into the sky and then they, for the most part, do what they're supposed to do. Like, you know, I can't, uh, I can change the oil in my car, but I can't do that. And so I'm always awe-inspired by just the, like, these robotic missions. Um, Like, yes, it will be a mammoth moment for mankind when uh, a human being steps foot on Mars for the first time. And I, I hope and I believe that it will be within my lifetime. Um, but until then, this is awesome too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I'm not, a, a lot of people debate the whole, you know, human space flight versus robot space flight thing. And I, it's just not an either or. It's yeah. it, it's um it's both and you got to do both and you could even argue that um for, humans are going to go where we already know a lot because we, we wanted to we want to understand it and we want to be a little bit safer it's not safe by any means but uh, we need to understand it it's not just about technology uh, to get us there but it's also understanding it a little bit more so if you look at Mars you have you know you have flybys and orbiters and landers and then rovers and um, we get familiar with what's there and we have a better idea not only what to study when we do send people there but you know it, it gives us some comfort comfort I think in knowing uh, about where we're sending them and and what that place is like and that's useful too and uh, you don't get there unless you've sent you know some scouts and you've got some instruments and you you learn that way too and then there you know the fact is there are more places in the solar system than it is practical for us to expect to send people anytime in the next you know centuries and we need to explore that stuff too and that's what those robots are really good for that too good uh, so, uh, curiosity is a robot or not? That's a good question. Should bring um, that for season two. I, I, I will. Uh, I'll consult uh, John Syracuse and I'll let you know. I th- I'm going to guess what he's going to say, but I'm going to keep that to myself for now. Yeah. Um. Let's let's talk about Pluto. So, New Horizon, uh, spaceship that was launched, or a vehicle that was launched nine years ago, and has been <laughs> hurtling towards the edge of the solar system. Uh. Was it now two weeks ago uh, past uh, Pluto and uh, one of its moons and has been sending imagery back, which is just, I think really, I think, I feel like space has been coming back into the news, but I feel like New Horizon was the kick in the pants for a lot of people of like, this is actually like really cool that we are seeing a world come into view quite literally for the first time. And, you know, uh, the the morning they released that first image, you know, sort of the uh, the soft brown color with the heart and view and everything. I mean, uh, Twitter and not just like space Twitter people that I follow, just everyone like just it just it, it just exploded. You know, people at work were talking about it who don't keep up with the stuff because it's on the news, right? It, it just captured the imagination of everybody, which is it's pretty amazing. Well, I think one of the reasons um, you, know, you and I are talking now is that we both got to be really excited and bug Mike Hurley about space things. <laughs> and his response was, oh, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know that. And I, I don't know about um, your bit on Connected. I know that I got a lot of really positive uh, stuff about the upgrade uh, segment we did. And some of it was, yeah, some of it was from people who follow this stuff incredibly closely and wanted to correct a lot of little details. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's fine. Um, I was 
some of those details I didn't know and some of those I was pur- purposefully admit- omitting because I was trying. Mike felt like he was the level that I wanted to be on, which is, hey, you don't know about this, but it's cool. Let me tell you a little bit of, about why. And I, I heard from a lot of people who felt that same thing, which is they're inclined to like this stuff, but they're not going to hunt down more details about it. You know, their their level of enthusiasm doesn't reach that bar. And ours does. And so you can, you know, we can be good conduits to say, oh, let me tell you a story, especially since we're, you know, we're both in this uh, in this uh, communications field, right, where we have the ability to do that. So I think I think there was interest um, and and uh, you could see it. It is rare that you have a whole new world that has basically not been imaged before. So I think that that is part of the trick, too, is that with Pluto, I mean, like Jupiter or Saturn. Yeah, yeah, we got to see the moons, and those were sort of hard to see before we flew past them. But with Pluto, it's like it was just a fuzzy dot. <laughs> yeah, and now it is a it it has a personality. It is a it is a world with personality, and that's that's a big leap. And that's like that is as um I always said about how like Apple events. Steve Jobs was really good at the whole hey, it's actually really hard to make technology, and it doesn't happen in one dramatic leap. Um, but uh, here on stage, when we unveil this product, it's going to feel like it. And that's sort of you know that's that's the truth of something like this Pluto thing is its power is that in that one moment after ten years of run up right and 15, 20 years of building that project, you, there is a moment where the world that is fuzzy and unexplored suddenly becomes a real thing and is like, you know, it's real to us now for the first time and forever it will be the image that we saw in that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's totally right. And, you you know, I think about the that sort of the image, sort of that, that common element that everybody's, uh, not only news coverage and things like what we do, but just the conversation revolves around, you know, you think about in the course of history, the times that NASA in particular has provided that, right? So you have like images like the blue dot and you have, of course, the the lunar landing, which, you know, my my parents are the right age where they were, they were young people, you know, when that happened and they remember it. And um, it's just everybody being glued to their television set as, as those, as the door opens and it comes down the ladder and you know the images were terrible and grainy and staticky and um but the the fact that it was so compelling that everybody just stopped and watched and it was a a common element that tied literally everyone together you know if, there were other things going on right like 19, 1969 was a turbulent time uh, across the, across the world really and um, but it was something that that people could hold on, could latch onto, and and feel like something bigger. And I think talking with my parents and, and people who were who sat through that uh, provided hope in, in a in a way that is sort of ambiguous, but in the same time very real. That like this is what humanity can do, and I, and I get that sense looking at the New Horizon images. I mean, they had a new image on Friday that uh, is in the show notes where it shows the the halo around around the surface. Um, you know, some some hazy atmosphere and like you look at that image and the image is stunning, but the fact that the image exists is just as stunning in a way. Pluto is crazy. Yes, atmosphere, glaciers made of nitrogen, which doesn't don't sound uh, like a a super great place to go camp out with your family. Well, it's the um. You know, outer outer solar system chemistry essentially is is wacky because of the 
uh, low temperatures. So, you know, you basically have to, it's like this on Titan, right? Where they talk about on Titan, you've got um, like uh, hydrocarbon lakes, right? It's their liquid at that temperature. Um, and But ro- water is rock, essentially, at that point. Um, here in the inner solar system, uh, everything's so warm that uh, we have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of rock and not a lot of ice. Uh, but on the outer solar system, ice is rock, essentially water ice, because it's it's so hard at those temperatures. And so like on Pluto, you've got mountains that are made of water ice. Uh, there may be rock mixed in. They, they, there is rock mixed in with the ice on Pluto, but um, it's a lot of ice. And we on one level, you think, oh, well, that's disappointing. It's just a, I always thought anyway, it's just like, a, a, they always say like, it's a, it's a dirty snowball, like a comet, right? But that far out, ice might as well be rock. It is super hard. Um, but something like nitrogen, which we think, oh, what's really cold? Liquid nitrogen. Okay, now let's go colder. Now it's not a liquid anymore. Now it's a ni- nitrogen ice. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And what they think they're seeing on those uh, those close-ups on uh, on what they're they're calling um, uh, Tombaugh Regio, the, which is the heart, basically, mm-hmm. um, is uh, signs of glaciers and, uh, that must be made out of various ices, including nitrogen, uh, but you know that that are flowing over the surface. And then there are, you know, at other parts of Tombaugh Regio, there are these mountains thrusting up. The, there's some that are the size of the Adirondacks. There's some that are more like Rocky Mountain size, and those are probably all water ice mountains. So it's it's um it's crazy, but they've all got analogs, right? I mean, we can we can say that's like the a glacier system on Earth would look like that too, and the difference is being that it's hundreds of degrees warmer, <laughs> and so the materials are different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm looking at these images now of the uh, the flowing ice, and you can see. I mean, it looks like you would imagine it would look, right? Like that you can tell where it is like swirled up against you know these rough edges, and it, it blends in with these other other materials. It really is. It's just really amazing. And and the detail, I mean, what blows me away too, is just the detail of these things, of these images, of this this craft that's about the size of a piano, I think is what they said. Mm-hmm. You know, flying by at incredible rates of speed, getting images where, you know, it's it's so detailed and so close that, that scientists, I mean, scientists are going to be studying this for, for decades. Of course, A, it's going to take a long time for all the data to come back because data is, is is slow coming from space turns out yeah yeah it sounds it sounds like they're they're going to be able to boost their their uh, data rate soon because they'll be so far away from pluto that they won't be able to make any more observations and at that point they sort of spin up the spacecraft a little bit and it stabilizes it and then it can get they can get a little more data back but it's still like a modem calling yeah. back to earth and so it's going to trickle out over a year i think one of the things that's really different about pluto is that um because it's so far away and we we had to decide to go there we sent it um sent the the ship there uh loaded for bear so we we went from knowing almost nothing about it other than could be seen in some very very hazy uh, telescope images um to knowing not just sort of like that 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 iconic picture of the face of Pluto with the heart and all of that but we we also get all these details because back in the day you know some of the the planetary probes we could send you know well this one's going to fly by and it'll take some pictures and then later we'll send something else and it'll do a lot more detailed stuff with Pluto it's like nope this is it <laughs> we're going to go from nothing to as you know nothing to almost everything we'll probably know about Pluto for our lifetimes 
in a day. That's that's where we are. And now and then it'll take a, a year to download it all. Yeah, and you know, sit here and complain about a uh, Skype artifacting on Comcast. The Deep Space <laughs> Network very slow. <laughs> it, it is, yeah, but it's still. I mean, that's kind of amazing technology that you oh, got yeah. this. You know, this this hardware that launched before the iPhone was re- was released, that is uh, able to take these pictures and uh, and then store it on their solid state recorders that they had. Um, they're, they're basically SSDs, super hardened SSDs, and then they'll slowly trickle it all back. It's all cached there. Um, it's a, it's a, I, I love I wrote about this a little bit on six colors. I love that technology story of it too, which is you know they know that the pictures are the big PR value. So they, they like knew exactly what shots they were taking and they prioritized certain mm-hmm. shots to be sent, transmitted back mostly as JPEGs. They're gonna they're gonna do like uncompressed versions later, but they wanted to start with the in the very limited time that they had, they wanted to get some really breathtaking photos down um, so that they could, uh, have this kind of coverage, and then they're going to spend the next like three months with science data and very few pictures. Be- but they prioritize some pictures because uh, they knew <laughs> that they needed that, and and because that's what so many people just want to see. What people will remember about it is that we saw Pluto when it was red and had a heart, mm-hmm. and uh, and and that's fine. That's great. That makes the public excited about it. Um, I, my Twitter feed just blew up with this stuff. Now you and I have both been to NASA social events. So this, this is one of those ways where I think NASA does a very good job and you can see it. And it's not just because they're doing it, but like Twitter and social media in general, I think is really great for this space stuff because there was a period, uh, if it's not big enough to be on every TV channel, like the moon landing, I think it, 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 um, the media coverage of it was limited and it was just, just because, of the way the media worked in the 80s, let's say, and the 90s. But now um, all these pictures are just pouring out onto social media. And then you get the viral like little cartoons, like the one of uh, of uh, Pluto being sad when when yeah. the, the spacecraft <laughs> flew by. And there was one that was a uh, that was imagining that that picture of Pluto was a uh, it was uh, the 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 black uh, regions underneath the heart were kind of like hands holding the heart, like it was a little Valentine Pluto. And all that stuff happened online. So that was um, that was pretty great to see too. That all, all everybody was talking about it, and I think today's media world is much better for. Uh, people to get enthusiastic about this stuff than it, than it was in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, the um, I was at the CRS-7, the SpaceX uh, launch that that failed, and we we were underneath it when it when it failed. And actually, one of the images that kind of floated around the news uh, early early on, you know, NASA and SpaceX released like official images, but one of the first ones that came out was actually taken by somebody who was in our NASA social group who had brought this oh. crazy rig and. Um, I got some nice shots of the of the takeoff, but I didn't get any shots of it breaking up, and you know that sort of thing. Where at, at, at the same time, NASA's doing really cool stuff, and it and they're doing a good job. I, I do think there is sort of this groundswell of of fans and of people who are just interested in this stuff who are are sharing more of it. I mean, I, I leading up to NASA Social, uh, which was the end of June about a month ago, I started following some sort of space people on Twitter. You know. Twitter had basically been like local people I know and then sort of Apple people and then adding this third group. It's it's so fascinating to see people's take on it and people who have like different experiences with it, like even professionally, like there were people I, I was there with who had worked at SpaceX and, you know, professors and there was uh, 
uh, a woman who uh, is in uh, out in California studying like black holes, like the crazy stuff, and it's all just accessible to everybody. And um, you know, NASA does a really good job, uh, like you said, on the PR front. I think better than ever. Like again, like what do we want the day one story to be? We want it to be the an, a full image of Pluto. Well, let's get that back first, right? Like. I'm sure from like the scientist perspective, there are lots of other more interesting things that could come back first, but they they balance that with telling their story. And I think that's one thing that has helped the New Horizon team, you know, have so much traction in, in, in the news cycle is that they are being purposeful about that. Yeah, they're they're aware. Um and there's been some criticism, and I think some of it is right. Like there was that moment where we were waiting for the final uh, like uh, signal from New Horizons that it had survived the flyby, and they, in the two minutes preceding the, that moment, they had a, like their social media expert talk about what people were tweeting about the event. It was like terrible. That, that terrible. was a that was a big miscalculation, right? It's like you you need to get out of the way and let the news happen and let the excitement happen and not use that as a that would that was yeah that was a miscalculation i think is the best way to to describe it but they are a government agency um so outreach is important also they know that the more people are excited and care about this stuff this is essentially the payoff so called not the science in some ways it's the press and enthusiasm that's the payoff when it comes to making their case to get more money and that is absolutely part of the story. So I and I think they've generally done a really good job with that. And they've had the help of um, some people like uh, like the uh, Planetary Society uh, has has done some really great stuff. I mean, there there are other people in the in the space community who who help. But NASA needs to be part of it, and they need to they need to be thinking in that way. The science needs to be good, but it also needs to be sort of rolled out in a way that's really effective. And this has always been an issue. I mean, I, I don't know. I assume you've seen all of the same sort of space stuff that I've seen. But like, if you watch, um, I mean, Apollo 13's got a little of it. If you watch From the Earth to the Moon, there's mm-hmm. a whole lot more. There is always this battle between, or if you've read any of the books, like the books those were based on, um, uh, the battle between like science and PR and what's what's good PR and what's actually good science. And, and you know, you got, you got to do both, I think, if you're NASA, because you, you can't just... The science doesn't speak for itself. Most people aren't scientists. And so you also have to, um, you know, it would be great if they would just hand NASA money because you're doing great science. But unfortunately, that is not what what happens. And you need to you need to strategize and be really smart. And I think for a while, NASA was not. And something happened and they've NASA has actually been better, I think, than than I would expect from a large government bureaucracy at getting you know at planning on and getting the word out about their big events so you know that which is good because that's how they're going to stay funded yeah yeah which is which is important so um so what's next uh we have a bunch of stuff in this document we're not going to get to so much space there's too much space so much it's it's almost as if it extends infinitely (laughs) but does it (laughs) lots of questions Mm. uh so New Horizon, we've we've flown past Pluto. Information's coming back, but Pluto is sort of the uh, one of the closest uh, bodies in the Kuiper Belt. So what? Yeah. So Pluto's kind of out there. The Kuiper Belt's spread out a little beyond Pluto. Uh, so what's going on New Horizon next? They 
they have to uh, they have to get their official approval for extended mission or something. There's a lot of bureaucracy involved, and there were actually even jokes about people asking. They had a kid ask, and at one point, one of the kids who was born on the day that it launched or whatever, yeah, yeah, uh, Ash actually asked, "So where are you going from here?" Because you know, and they can't say because they've got to get official approval and because it's more money to keep the people running the operation, but. Um, they they will go undoubtedly to one of I think they've got two target Kuiper Belt objects that they can go past, and that'll be cool because although those won't be you know anything of the of the size of of Pluto um, because the the really big ones are not in that direction right now um, they still um, there's still some more exploring for New Horizons to do um, in the Kuiper Belt and that was always part of the plan was to be able to get uh, get another object and image another object so there will be a um, in addition to the downloading of uh, you know all of that science over the next year they will um, start steering toward uh, one more encounter so uh, there's more to come from New Horizons I mean that's the beauty of I actually think it's brilliant talk about PR um, and, and there are technical reasons why they had to do this, but it is brilliant. The the, the fact that they are rolling out science uh, data for a year, they're going to still be in the news. They, yeah. will, they will keep having things that they will release and say, look at this thing we found about Sharon. Look at this thing that we found about the on the on the heart. Now, here's the they've got the uh, what is it? They're calling it Cthulhu, which is hilarious. The dark region below the heart. Yeah. You know, they'll they'll have something about that. They, they will have so many of these things that they'll be able to roll out over time. Um, not every week or anything like that, but we, they'll still be making news in, you know, in, in 2016, probably. And that even before they, you know, talk at all about some other encounter. So that's brilliant, too. So there's a lot more coming from, from New Horizons. Um, it, it, it is exciting. And it's the, the Kyber Belt thing is, is interesting to me because it's one of those things that we have known is there, but we know so little about it. Not, not unlike uh, Pluto, of course, but... You know, being able to 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 go into a, a part of our solar system neighborhood that that we haven't haven't explored. You know, that's just so bananas to me that they're going to like pick another spot and fly to it. Like, a like that just seems crazy, right? Like, just like <laughs> I'm sure whoever is in charge of the team that is uh, navigating that thing, like, come on, guys, pick a place. Like, we yeah. got to get started on trajectories and fuel burn and all these things. But um. Sure, they have some of that mapped out already. I'm, but, uh, yeah, I'm sure they, I'm they sure know they exactly. They probably yeah. know exactly what they want to do, yeah. right? But they're not going to talk about it because they right. got to go. They First, it needs to survive, and it needs to survive the Pluto encounter, and then they need to do. You know, they they've got the steps that they need to go through. It is still a giant bureaucracy, and they they are still flying a spaceship around. So you know, I'm sure they'll 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 take it one step at a time. Um. So the also uh, this week, uh, the Kepler mission, which looks for. It looks for lots of things, um, but Kepler looks at a lot of planet systems, planetary systems, other stars, that sort of thing. Uh, that team announced what they consider to be sort of the older, bigger cousin of Earth. Uh, this was a couple days ago. Uh, I, I love the name, the Kepler uh, 452b. Oh man, <laughs> you gotta gotta work on the the marketing of that planet. That that that, that planet needs a better PR team. Yeah, they they, I I keep wondering. We, we talk about PR. Um, it's maybe something to talk about more some other time. But I I do wonder sometimes about that stuff. Like I know you don't want to be too pandering and call it something because there are thousands of these. Uh, but 
you know, maybe there should be some sort of uh, name list drawn up from which, right? I mean, I... Is that um, there's probably somebody out there who knows about how the how the IAU works who would be like, oh, God, no, we could never do it like that. But it's like, can you just pre-approve like lists of names in categories for exoplanets and like draw one out of the hat? Because it would be much more interesting to call this, you know, whatever, um, than to call it 452B. Yeah, I can't even remember it. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's one of those things where. Uh, the science sort of leaks out, you know, and, and yeah. admittedly, Pluto is more, the New Horizon mission is sort of more exciting from the PR perspective, perhaps, or, you know, these other missions don't get the attention. Um, but it, it, I just, I sort of chuckled when I read that headline come across. I'm like, oh, oh, guys, come on. But um, so 452B, it, it's, it's really interesting. It is orbiting a sun, as we do, orbiting a star as we do uh, our sun very very much like ours although a couple billion years older so it's a little bit brighter and a little bit hotter yeah and and it's a it's it's bigger than uh than earth is but what's interesting so the the planet is five percent further away from the from the star which you know if the star is bigger and hotter being a little further away kind of puts it into that butter spot the butter zone that we think you know li- mm. life could be within um and it is the what's fascinating to me is the orbit is only five percent longer than ours. So it's a three hundred and eighty five day orbit. So very like eerily similar to us in that regard as well. Uh, a little bit bigger. Um so if you if you were to land on on four fifty two B, you would feel uh, heavier than you feel now because the gravity would be greater. Bigger. Yes. Yeah. So, um it's not like uh, on the moon where the guys are bouncing around like you know, like crazy people. A little bit heavier. Um, but it, it's, it seems like one of those places, according to this report and other stuff that's come out that like, if, if life exists somewhere in this region, this planet seems to be the top of the list of places it could be. It's really crazy. Yeah. I mean, you never know. It could, there's, it's only a, it's almost like a 50, 50 chance of it, whether it's a a tiny gas uh, planet or if it's a, um, if it's a rocky planet, but, um, what's, Important is not like are there aliens on Kepler four fifty two B? It sounds import- like there are with that Wait, name. Yep, yeah, they are. Well, they're this yes, the bait, the Batons will call them um, the four fifty twos. Yay! Um, <laughs> I think the point is the more we know, the problem with our solar system is we have no idea whether it's common or not, which makes it really hard for us to understand whether life is common or not because maybe life requires we all we have is we have one solar system that we can we know everything about not everything but you know a lot about and we know that it has life in it but that's on on one planet that's all we know right so the the value in in learning something like um when they're searching for these earth-like planets is they're really trying to get a sense not like are there any earth-like planets around because of course there are space is big but it's like how common are they because how common are planets in that goldilocks zone the butter zone like you said, where you get uh, where where you can have uh, at least biology of the kind that we understand, something like Earth. And uh, when you see something like this, it's like okay, that that is good to know that there is probably something in this system that looks like looks like us, kind of. It's like the closest we've seen, and it's not quite dead on, but it's it's pretty close. And that's not bad. This is this is a, a fourteen uh, fourteen hundred light years away. Uh, from us, it's very, 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 very far away from us. But um, 
but we were able to because Kepler is just looking for dimming of stars and being able to measure the 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 fact that planets are crossing in front of its face, um, transiting their stars, and then we can read that. Um, we you know this is great. This is why Kepler is such a, an incredibly the payoff has been so huge on that mission um, because we have we are we are getting this whole census of all of these different exoplanets and that gives us much better ideas about like how the solar system was formed, which I think is awesome. Um, you know, it is also fun. It does hit the sci-fi. Uh, a funny bone or something yeah. <laughs> like that where it's like woo imagine a planet like that now but it would you know but that's more interesting i think to most of us than the hot jupiters that were the first ones that they found where it's like it's like twice the size of jupiter and it orbits its sun every two days and it's like well okay <laughs> you would burn like it yeah you'd burn yeah. up instantly yeah that's not like anything we know or see and what does that tell us and and you know you want the right. bigger picture yeah i think the the thought that comes to mind for a lot of people in in learning about planets like this as well, you know, could this be a home for us one day? I mean, I don't know how many science fiction books or movies that we have consumed over the years are based on that premise, right? That the earth, I mean, Wally, you know, the earth is somehow in trouble or consumed and for to survive, humanity needs to leave. So you look at uh, 452B and say, well, it's, you know, if it's rocky, it probably has wa- liquid water. If there's water there, it's... Uh, about the same distance from the sun, so we shouldn't cook or freeze to death. Um, uh, a little bit heavier, a little bit bigger would be heavier, but it seems to be, you know, within something that humans could tolerate, potentially. Could we live there? You know, if, if something happens to our planet if we and we have to go, uh, could we do that? Now, the, the issue here is that it's 1,400 light years away, and yeah. that's it's a long way. Um, it's it's a little yeah you you need some serious uh, space warp uh, technology yeah yeah uh, you you would need the uh, the uh, turbo button engaged but the yeah yeah but the but the idea is not that that we would go to Kepler 452b mm, boy that I love saying that uh, but that uh, if if it exists then uh, it it probably means that there are other planets like that that are. Um, all around, at, right? You ar- around stars like that one, which is like ours, and that's interesting. And that that it's all it it's all part of that. I mean, I if in terms of like, the, and this is a this is a topic for another time too. But uh, you know, Stephen Hawking famously has talked a lot about how we have, uh, you know all our eggs are in this one basket and that if the human race is to continue, one of the things that would be smart is to not have just have humans on earth. Mm-hmm. I, and I think that's totally in, a, in, on an infinite time scale. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, I think that that is, uh, I think that's absolutely right now. You know, it's going to be before you get to, let's move to another star far away. You know, you've got the, could you, could you terraform Mars? Could you float a bunch of habitats in Venus? Are there things that you could do around, you know, moons of Jupiter or Saturn? And then could you just have space habitats, space stations around Earth, lunar base? Uh, you know, there, there, there are lots of, there are lots of different, uh, sci-fi explanations of ways that you could, uh, you could, uh, uh, move humanity off of the earth without necessarily migrating the extremely long distances to a, to a, um, uh, another star. But uh, it's interesting. It's a, we had, but we just had no idea. I mean, that's, that's the fascinating thing is like what other solar systems are like until a few, uh, you know, a decade or two ago, we had no data, like zero 
data about what whether there were planets around other stars. Of course, you would assume that there were. Who? What would they be like? Would they be like us? No clue. And it's only with uh, in the last uh, you know fifteen years, basically, I think fifteen or twenty years, that we've had these um, initial exoplanet uh, discoveries that have led to this whole crazy thing with Kepler. Kepler is also really interesting because it only works if the planet transits and <laughs> right. <laughs> so so if if the planet if some of these stars we're looking at their 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 planetary uh, their their um disk that their that their planets are probably all in if it's inclined um yeah, we can't then see it. We can't see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's both a genius and sort of very limited way to go about this, but um right. We'd well, hope at some point that they'd be able to figure out. I mean, the goal here is to ultimately not only be able to measure um, just uh, are there planets there, but to c- could we measure the the contents of like if there's an atmosphere by looking at the spectra, which seems crazy. But then again, it seems crazy that you could find a planet around another star uh, 1,400 light years away at all. How could you do <laughs> yeah. that? And yeah. yet that's what we do now. This yeah. is a thing we do. It's just a, a day in the office for some people. Yep. Not us. Not, not um, us. Not our day in our offices. Uh, no, it, it, is, it is interesting. And, you know, kind of circling back to the humanity has to leave Earth thing, like that's that's part of, I think, this whole imagination side of it that really gets it for me of like, could this be in, in, in a, on, if, on uh, Marco's infinite time scale um, or John's, no one knows. Uh, mm-hmm. If, if we, do have the technology to to go maybe not here but someplace closer like is that the life raft for humanity will humanity need a life raft what can we do now so we don't have to have a life raft i mean short of something happening to the earth there are things that we can do that we do to it that we could curb you know and so that that sort of side of that conversation that always comes up in my mind reading this sort of stuff is like like guys like we can't go anywhere else like uh, if something happens to our planet, we're in trouble. And not like a, I'm in trouble, like our species is in trouble, which is which is bad if you uh, believe in that sort of thing. So it, it is fascinating that we can see this stuff and it's fascinating to think that there, there are other worlds in this universe like ours. And, and all of it, you know, it's very interesting. The two things we've talked about make me feel very differently you know pluto and the new horizon is i'm like yeah humanity like we built a machine and they launched it and it's the size of a piano and has like a you know <laughs> uh nuclear uh fuel and all this crazy stuff like that is the finest engineering humanity can can pull off and then you look at something like this 452b it's like we are so small and we are so relatively helpless in our universe um and that's uh, all like very conflicting for me at least, but what keeps me interested in it at the same time that both of those things can be true um, and 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 that's fine. They don't have to reconcile with each other. Well, in fact, I think one of the things to that struck me about the exoplanet stuff is that star being older than our sun. I mean, that is that is the fate of the earth too in a couple of billion years, the sun because stars is uh, of, of our sun's type. I mean, stars burn brighter and hotter as they get older when yep. they're on the main sequence. So um, this is an example of the fact, it's just a reminder of Earth's mortality. Like we we like to think of the solar system as a, as a static system, but it is a dynamic system. It's just that the scale is not 
understandable by human lives or even like the history of humanity as a species that <laughs> right. it does it doesn't track but it is a dynamic system and it, the sun is getting brighter and hotter and in a couple of billion years uh the earth won't be habitable in the you know as we think of it today so um it's it's an interesting reminder there too. Now, some people would say, you know, a couple billion years. Our species has only been around for uh, a couple hundred thousand. It's not, um, it's it's not a time scale that matters. You could say that. Um, I feel like somebody uh, who's like crazy ambitious, like Elon Musk kind of person, would look at it and say, um, you know, I want I want our our uh, descendants, whoever they are, whatever they are. To, to actually care about the fact that they need to get off this planet in the next two billion years because there'll be somebody still kicking around that will not even know that we were ever here because we'll be lost in the midst of time. But that's kind of a cool idea. Um, but certainly there is a, a ticking clock on, on humanity and on the Earth and on the solar system. And, you know, so it's not just a theoretical thing of like, well, what if we do this to ourselves or what if we do that to ourselves? It's like if we are great stewards and continue to be awesome, um, you know, the earth will run out of uh, resources at some point and the sun's going to get really bright and bake everything anyway. So, you know, just I, that, so that's what I'm saying is look on the bright side. Yeah, it's getting brighter, closer mm-hmm. and hotter. The next uh, time you're outside, just think, is that sun brighter and hotter than it was? And the uh, answer is yes, very, very slightly. In July in the south, it definitely mm. seems that way. Uh, we should do this again. We should. We should do this again. Should we? <laughs> Maybe we should. Subtle hints. Um, so uh, yeah. It's not subtle if you say subtle hint afterward, Stephen. Right. It's, uh, it's fine. It's fine. Should, should people uh, tell us uh, um, if they liked this? I think so. I think that'd be helpful. Um, mm. How could people get in touch with us? Well, uh, Stephen, you you are. We didn't introduce ourselves either, but hopefully people know who we are. St- <laughs> Stephen Hackett is ISMH on Twitter, and I am Jason Snell, and I am J Snell on Twitter. Twitter is a good way to yeah. reach us, I think. I think so too. And uh, Jason, you write at uh, sixcolors.com. I do, and I and- appear on the Great Relay FM podcast network, uh, doing Upgrade and Clockwise. Yes. Two what shows. about you? Two shows. Uh, do I have you have a show? website and podcast? I do. It's so crazy. Uh, yeah, you can find me at 512pixels.net and connected here on uh, here on Relay FM, which is a fine purveyor of podcast related podcasts. Yes. <laughs> Programming. Okay. I think we're going to go. I've, I've ruined the ending. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the sun is getting closer. Heating me up. That's right. Bye, Jason. Goodbye. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) What can you do? What can you do?